We're studying in Romans 8. If you turn to Romans 8, look around verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. We were there last week, and we're going to see if we can get a little bit more out of it this week. I enjoyed last Sunday's service so much. It meant a lot to me. And uh, maybe, maybe this week will be as good. Let's see. Let's read verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing on this Bible lesson this morning. We pray that the things spoken will be to thine honor and glory that thy spirit will make them real to our hearts and beginning with the heart of thy speaker. These things are precious to us, and we want, we're not getting in too far into them because we have such limited capabilities. But we ask you to just let us enjoy our Lord Jesus Christ on this morning of resurrection. We pray in his name. Amen. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Often in the scriptures, the awful majesty and the awesome power of God are described to us. We see his majesty in creation. He is majestic as the creator. His power is awesome in the control of all that he created. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 26. Isaiah 40, 26. And anybody with babies that can't turn, just listen and we'll read it to you so you're not going to lose anything. Isaiah 40, 26. It says, Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. You see, and that's talking about those millions and millions of stars that we look up at night and see. And, of course, nobody's counted them. We say there's millions, and scientists are very accurate when it comes to counting, they'll give or take a million either way. So uh, they're trying to tell us there's millions of them out there, but there's no collisions and no accidents in space. Never are. Why? It's because he's strong in power and not one faileth. But this God is not just a God of things, but a God of living people. Sometimes he favored people with a glimpse of his majesty as he did to Moses at the burning bush. Look at Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, 
And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, 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 Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now he appeared in majesty to Moses. And that's just a glimpse, just a glimpse of something physical that God gave to him. And now look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5, a glimpse of the majesty that Isaiah got of the Lord. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The whole house rattled. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then sometimes... The Lord displayed his power to people like in the crossing of the Red Sea, where his people were delivered safe and the army of the Egyptians totally destroyed. You see, majesty and power go together. They are both glorious characteristics of our mighty God. We've seen it over and over again, and we expect it. Yet here in our verse today, we come upon the same majestic, glorious God who chooses not to use his power. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What an unusual time not to display his power on his own son. Not an adopted son, but his only begotten son. Our dearest possessions are our children. Parents will part with their all to redeem their children, especially if they have but one, and that one dearly beloved. But we can't measure God's love to Christ by our human standards because they are both eternal this heightens his grace to us that he spared not his own son. Now, there certainly were just and good reasons why he should have spared him. But just look at the incomparable worth and excellency of the person of Christ. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, was co-equal with the Father in divine honor and glory. Look at John 5.18. John 5.18. Great book, John. You ought to read it through several times a year anyhow. The Jews, therefore the Jews, sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Now the Jews were not mistaken that he said he was the son of God equal in essence power and glory with the father. They understood it. We just read it. Their fault was they denied this title to Christ. And here's what most people do not understand. Seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in person as he walked here on earth during his first coming gave those people who saw him no more advantage to be saved than we have here today who only hear of him and see him by faith. Then or now, for Christ to be made real to a heart as God and Savior, the Holy Spirit had to reveal it to the heart. Turn to Matthew 16, look at verse 13. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Here was one walking with the Lord. Living with the Lord. Following him very close. Being taught of the Lord. Lord asked him the question. In verse 15 he says, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You know what that means? Even though he walked and lived with the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have not known that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, would not have believed that apart from that being revealed to his heart by God's Holy Spirit. Here it says, but by my Father. Of course, it's always the work of the Holy Spirit dealing with the human heart. You see, so many people say, well, if I would have lived when Christ walked on earth, if I would have been there, oh, I would have believed on No, you wouldn't. Apart from God the Holy Spirit revealing to your heart that he was God, You'd never believe him. And so that's why so many didn't. It's a special manifestation of grace to your heart. Salvation is a wonderful gift at any time. And it's God's work in your heart. You ought to be thanking him and praising him up one side and down the other day after day, moment after moment. That's how important it is for you to have spiritual interest. Now, Paul clearly explains that Christ wasn't taking one thing away from God when he said that he was the Son of God. Now look at Philippians 2.6. Philippians 
where it says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, the word robbery throws you because you're thinking of someone out there with a gun sticking somebody up. But for our Lord to say that he was the Son of God, was not taking or robbing anything away from God the Father. It wasn't robbery because they were both equal. Equal in essence, different in persons. Now, Christ wasn't cast down from heaven for robbery and rebellion like the sinning angels were, but he was sent down. Divine royalty walked among men for 33 years. Hard to imagine God not sparing the majestic God-man. Now, second, there was such a love of singular and infinite love between God and Christ. That's another reason. He's called his dear son in Colossians 1.13. So we're close now, a couple pages to the right. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, the Father loved Christ so dearly that our Lord was said to be in the bosom of the Father. Look at John 1.18. You've probably missed this in reading through the Gospels of John for years and years. But this is how close he is to the Father. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of can't love anybody closer than that. Which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now, what does that mean? It's the best that words can do to show closeness. Not only his coexistence with him from all eternity, but the delight and sheer joy that the divine persons have in one another. Look at Proverbs 8.30. This will bring us another description of the closeness and and the joy that God the Father and God the Son had together. It's Proverbs 8 and verse 30. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Well, those verses there puts it in words. That's as close as words can set forth to us the intimacy, the oneness and delight that is between the Father and the Son, and yet... God spared him not. Still another reason why God could have spared him is because he has no equal. Or there is nothing of exchange value. Christ is worth more than a thousand worlds. What was God to receive in exchange for Christ when all the world is less than nothing to him? Where am I getting that from? Look at Isaiah 40, verse 17. Isaiah 40, verse 17, is what the Lord says, his description of the world and its systems. 
He says, and all nations before him are as nothing. That means valueless. They're counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Well, okay, now when something is less than nothing, who's going to give anything for it? But God gave his own son to recover the perishing world of mankind. Well, not only did God not spare his beloved, only begotten son, but our verse says he delivered him up. He planned it. He set it up. He was the force and power behind all the activity of the persecuting mob. Turn to Acts 2.23. Acts 2.23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Now, does that free the mob from guilt? Because it says he was being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God? No, not at all. The actions of men are their responsibility. Paul says you took him with your wicked hands. Well, with wicked hands, feet and eyes and hearts, men play out their normal lives unless God interferes into their life with grace. For men to be wicked and sinful, all God has to do is let them alone. Understand that? When God interferes into his life, it's with grace. Now, the word delivered that we have here, God delivered him up, is connected with several other people like Judas delivered him up. The Bible says that. Look at John 19, 11. John 19.11 says Judas delivered him up. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore he, that meaning Judas, that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now it also says that Pilate delivered him. Look at the same chapter, verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. It was Pilate that delivered him in this verse. And then the high priest delivered him in Matthew 22, 27, 2. Matthew 27, 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And then the Bible says that Jesus delivered himself. Look at Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25 delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. 
And then in our verse today, it says, God delivered him up for us all. Now, the same word delivered is used, but the act had various causes. Like the people delivered him out of ignorance and blind zeal. Judas out of covetousness, treachery. The high priest out of malice and envy. Why did Pilate deliver him? Well, Pilate was a big chicken. And he was trying to preserve the reputation of his government, Rome. Christ delivered himself out of obedience to God, and God himself delivered him to show his infinite love to us. So there's various ways of deliverances, but the one we're speaking of today has to do with God's great love to you and me. So when we read that Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel of God, the only reason we can come up with was his love to the souls that he gave to Christ to die for. Now, that should be grounds both of gratitude and confidence to us. That should be a big help when we consider the law which condemns us is the law of God. The wrath and punishment which we fear is the wrath of God. And the presence into which we come is the presence of God. And the fountain of all the blessings we expect is the favor of God. Now this offended God spared not his own son to assure our comfort, peace, and hope. He delivered him up for us all. Now, what does deliver him up consist of? Well, first of all, he delivered him up to be flesh. Look at John 1.14. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh, but I'll read it to you. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this delivering him up to be flesh, which was a state of being at the greatest distance from his nature, who was a pure spirit. But God, who is a spirit, was made flesh that he might be nearer to us and within reach of our way of life. And he took a mother upon earth that we might have a father in heaven. Then 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is a great scripture and you're familiar with it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us. That is made a sacrifice for our sin or made a sin offering. Like in Romans 8.3 and in Romans 8.3 is would be difficult for some to understand except the word sin there means a sin offering for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin being made a sacrifice condemned sin in the flesh Now, his becoming a sin offering, 
has put an everlasting brand upon sin to make it stinking and hateful to the saints. You ever feel that way? What a miserable, rotten creature I am to call myself a Christian, to call myself a saved son of God. And on the other hand, God the Father looks at you and me as perfect because that righteousness is imputed to us through Christ. You'll never be satisfied with yourself, never. But you'll be very satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, the Lord was made a curse for us in Galatians 3.13. I'll read that to you. Galatians 3.13 says, have I got my right scripture? Yes. No, I'm in Ephesians. That's why it don't look right. Galatians 3. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now this shows the pain and shame of his death, and to show that Christ was appointed to bear the curse of the law and punishment which belongs to us. It was so grievous and terrible that his human nature staggered and recoiled a little by a just abhorrence of the great evil which he was about to undergo. Naturally, you've got to remember our Lord Jesus Christ had a human nature. And when he was under it, his soul was exceeding sorrowful and heavy unto death, and it brought forth tears and strong cries. Look at Hebrews 5, 7. Let me show you that's what the Bible says. If I was making things up, then we would not turn into the Bible because I couldn't prove it. Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Yet God spared not his own son, not even by tears, not even by crying. But he did deliver him up to those penal and dreadful evils for us all. For us all, interesting phrase. That is for the cursed race of Adam who had no strength to do anything for themselves, who had cast away the mercies of our creation and were senseless of our misery and careless of our remedy, had abused the goodness of God's bounty and patience and were utterly lost to God in themselves. The whole time that we live in the world shows God's mercy in sparing us. But yet he spared not Christ. Every moment that we live after committing a sin is the fruit of God's mercy. The arrow is already in the bow, only God does not release it. That's how the Bible describes the readiness 
of God casting the sinner into hell. It's Psalm 7, verse 11 and 12. Psalm 7, 11 and 12. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. But he has not released the arrow into your heart or mine. For us all. Now consider to whom this letter was written. When it says for us all, the religious world goes, oh, that's for everybody in the world. Well, who was Paul writing this letter to? Look at Romans 1.7. Romans 1, 7. Get an idea who us all is. To all, there's your all, that be in Rome, beloved of God. Called to be saints. You see who it's to? Not to everybody in the world, to us, us all. And then this extends to the same people down through the ages called the church. Beloved of God and called to be saints, no matter what age you live in. So this expression includes all the elect of God who have been given to Jesus, the same ones that he prays for in John 17, 9. John 17, 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now the last part of our verse says, he freely giveth us all things. Oh, how freely God gives us all things. He gave us Christ unasked and unsought for. In this instance, we see not only his infinite and great love, but his free and undeserved love. Look at Romans 5, verses 8 and 10. Romans 5, 8 and 10. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Christ died for us, verse 10. If then when we were, what, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When the world had corrupted their way and cast off God, then Christ died for us. Even for them that were neither loving nor lovely or a consideration to support our confidence, notwithstanding the sense of our unworthiness. His Son is the greatest gift that could be given. Plainly, then, nothing will be withheld from those for whom he hath given his Son. These all things are what the eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, he will give us his spirit and eternal life. And the idea of Paul's reasoning is to teach the believer to reason out of the scriptures. 
and draw the necessary instructions for life from them. Now, look at Romans 8, verses 31 and 32, the verse just before our verse today. And you see, he's going to teach us to reason by asking questions. And when you read a question in the Scripture, answer it yourself. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Great question. But the answer is better than the question. There can be nobody, no system, no religion, no anything against you if God be for you. How about death? Death is the final uh, great enemy of man. No, that can't, can't even hurt you either. Not if God be for you. So you're reasoning. So now he's going to have you reason again after another great question. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Come on. If he did not spare the Lord Jesus Christ. A love that words can't describe for his son and yet spared him not and did it for us all, what's left to give? Anything under the sun you need, God's going to provide you with because he spared not his own son. He spared not and he delivered so that he can free, give freely all things to those that Christ died for. Can you figure it out? Does it make sense to you? If God did not hold back his wrath even to his own beloved eternal son, what will happen to those who are at enmity against him? See, you've got to think of the other side. Look at Romans 8, 7. Here's normal, natural people. Here's all the people who are not filling up these seats on the other side, and in here there are so many. This, this is the people that would normally be sitting in seats like this. The normal, natural person. Because the carnal mind is enmity, hatred, not just the enemy. Enemies can be reconciled. They can be captured and they can be thankful they're captured and sent back and be happy. Enmity isn't like that. It's a death to the end. The carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can it be. Now turn to Matthew 13 look at verse 49. We're getting close to the end. Matthew thirteen forty nine forty nine and fifty. Now we're talking about those that have the enmity in the soul, and the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ spared not his own son. He's not going to hold back on his judgment of those who just won't believe him. And verse 49 and 50 is going to tell you just a little bit about the terribleness of being cast away from God. So it shall be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked 
from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth but no repentance. No sorrow, just wailing and gnashing of teeth and a real, real hatred of self for getting self into this mess. And then there's something worse than that. Something that will just tear the heart apart. And this is our last scripture and it's Matthew 7.23. Matthew 7.23. Here are some words, some of the most awesome words that will ever fall on human ear. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's not drunks. It's not people out in the world. It's not un, uh, unrighteous people or murderers or fornicators or adulterers or anything like that out in the world. People that you look down on. These are religious people. These are people that have prophesied in the name of the Lord. They've cast out demons. And they've done many wonderful works in their religion. And they've done it in the name of Jesus. The only trouble is they never got to know him. They never took time out in life to be a lost sinner. That's the only kind, that's the only place where you get acquainted with the Lord Jesus Christ at his feet. As a lost sinner. That's where the closeness, the relationship is formed. The sinner crying unto his Savior. That's when the Savior becomes a Savior. When you cry. But when he says, I never knew you, not that he didn't. He see, he knew all about their works. He says, ye that work iniquity. He knew all their works. They were religious works done to please the flesh, done to satisfy the conscience, but not done for the Lord Jesus Christ, the substitute Savior. And then when he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, the worst words a religious person is ever going to hear. And it doesn't have to happen to any of you. There are invitations in the scripture from the Lord Jesus Christ, if there was just one, but there are many. But if there was just one, and he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, well, come on. That's all you need is one. Little restriction there, though, you Got to be laboring, got to be heavy laden. How you do that? Say you're not under any labor or heavy laden. Well, ask the Lord to show you. Open his book and then ask him, Lord, show me my heart. Show me what I am by nature. Is it true that the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked? Show that to me. And when he does, 
and you bow at his feet and ask for mercy, he'll deliver you. Isn't that wonderful? It's as simple as that. That's salvation. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple Bible study this morning. Thou will bless each one here and each family represented. Bless this little new one that's first time with us today. Bless her mom and dad and at home. Again, we ask for protection on the highway for those that will have to drive long distances this day. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, you've got a good 15 minutes to get some coffee, some water, stretch a little bit.